Everyone has a story. With moments of longing, confusion, pain, and sadness. But we have been invited. We have been invited to be a part of a greater story. To be a part of a greater story. A greater story. One of hope. One of hope. Love. Peace. And healing. This is God's story. God's story. Our story. Our story. Your story. A story of immeasurably more. A story of immeasurably more. A story of immeasurably more. Good morning, church. Good morning. We are continuing this great series called Immeasurably More. And man, I love this series. I love what God's teaching us, the way God's challenging us, God calling us to live this immeasurably more life. And so often we settle for so little, right? And yet God is calling us to more. God's inviting us to a greater story in our lives. Now, our series is based on this verse in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. And in verse 20, it says this, Now to him, that's God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And I love that part because, you know what, I, I can imagine a lot of things. I can ask a lot of things. But God wants to do even more than we ask, even more than we can imagine. And God's saying, trust me. And the verse keeps going. It says, according to his power that is at work within us. Right? It's, it's not what we do. It's what he's done, his power at work within us. And to him be glory. <laughs> in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And, and I love, I love, I love that verse because God is writing an incredible story in each one of us. And God's not finished with any of us yet. And we may look at our lives, we may say, well, I, you know, I don't know, I'm kind of, you know, things are happening and going different ways, different directions, and God's going, listen, I've got more. I want you to trust me, I want you to follow me, I want you to hold on to me because I'm doing something that you can't even imagine. I'm writing a great story in you. There's still breath in your lungs for a reason, for a purpose, because God's not finished with us yet. So we're looking at this, God's story, our story, your story, and this is God's story. God gives us his word to encourage us and to challenge us, and we read stories of what God did in the lives of people back then, and, and God's saying, hey, I'm still at work. I'm the same God who wrote this. It's history, his story, but I am still sovereign over all creation, and I'm sovereign over you. Trust me. Hold on to me. But it's also our story, right? We're locking arms, and as a church, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. We're seeing God do miracles. Praise be to him. And in life, you're not created to be alone. You're created for community. You're created to be with one another, and it's important to be a part of a church. But it's also your story, your story. And so my hope and my prayer is as God is teaching us in this series that God's also working in your heart. And you're starting to say, hey, what is my immeasurably more story? What does God want to do with me? What does God want to do in my marriage? What does God want to do in my future marriage? What does God want to do in my family? What does God want to do in my career? What does God want to do for his glory and not just mine? And God, don't let me dream too small. God, let me see you and follow you and trust you as you do immeasurably more. Now, so far in our series, we said the immeasurably more life begins as we open our eyes. As we open our eyes and begin to follow him, begin to trust him. And then we join in the journey. Right? At some point, we have to take a next step. We talk a lot about next steps here at Rolling Hills and taking a next step. And not to grow complacent and to sit back, but your life, your spiritual life is always moving you forward. Right? Salvation happens in an instant as God draws you to himself and invites you into this relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. But sanctification, becoming like Christ, is a lifetime. We're all a work in progress, and God's calling us to go forward in him. And then last week, we talked about move over for a miracle, like align your life with the heartbeat of God. And God's heartbeat is 
reconciliation. God's heartbeat is redemption as you and I begin to align our lives with his heart. And that's why Jesus said, hey, keep on asking. You know, keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Every area of our lives that we're drawing close to the heart of God and we're following, man, that's where life gets exciting. And we see God do what only God can do. And this morning we're talking about this, bust down the roadblocks. Because there's roadblocks that are going to keep us from experiencing the immeasurably more life. There are challenges that lie in our way. And God's saying, hey, go through them and watch what I'll do. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, New Testament, right? And uh, man, it's so good. Uh, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online at Uversion. Follow along with us there on your phone or your iPad or whatever you have with you. If you're watching online, hopefully you can uh, find a mobile device and access the scriptures in 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Verses 3 through 12. Also, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a free Bible. There's some Bibles back um, by the pillars in the back. and love for you just to grab one of those, and that's, that's yours. Take it, keep it. It's yours. 2 Timothy, pick up here in chapter 1, verse 3. Now, before we dive into the text, i got to just tell you a couple things, because I think this impacts the way we read the text, is when we know the historical setting and what's happening. 2 Timothy is actually the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. So Paul, who wrote about half the New Testament, the last letter that he wrote is 2 Timothy. And he wrote this letter from prison. This is his second imprisonment. His first imprisonment, he was under house arrest. He could have people come see him. This imprisonment, though, he's in a dungeon. And he knows that Emperor Nero is going to have him killed. I mean, Emperor Nero, who persecuted Christians, who, you know, lit them on fire, used them as human torches, threw them in the Colosseum, in the gladiators, in the wild animals. I mean, that Emperor Nero now has Paul in prison. And so Paul is writing this. And you can imagine that if it's your last words, right, you're going to be very intentional. <laughs> if it's the last things that you know, hey, this is the last thing I'm getting ready to write down here, uh, you know you're going to be pouring into and pouring out of your heart the things that are most important. So listen to what he says, verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So you can picture the Apostle Paul, a little bit older in age now, in this dungeon, on his knees praying. And he's praying for Timothy, his young protege in the faith. He's praying for all the churches that he's planted. He's just praying, you know. And he says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm now persuaded lives in you also. I love that because moms, grandmoms, you have a huge impact. And I know it's not always easy being a mom and you're tired and lots of things are happening, but you are impacting generations. And so I am so thankful for the godly moms that are here and grandmoms that are here. You guys are awesome, and you make such an impact and such a difference. In Paul's writing, he goes, hey, Timothy, I'm glad for what God's doing in your life, but man, I'm so glad for your mom and your grandma. I mean, they passed down a legacy of faith, and now, Timothy, it's your turn. It's your turn to live it out. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, now, that word timidity, if you have a different translation, it may say fear, right? Now, fear is a synonym for timidity. And, and so a lot of translations, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, 
but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. That holy life, that's sanctification, right? Holy means to be set apart. Who has called us to a different life, a life different than our culture. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace, right? It's not by works. It's what God's done in us. It's God's calling us forward. His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Bam. <laughs> Paul is just fired up, right? He's like, man, I know, I know what I know. And I know that God is for me. Even in this prison, I know that God is enough for me. And I'm hanging on to him. I'm hanging on to him. I love it when you look at verse 6. In verse 6, you see he says, hey, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God in you. And you think about that picture, right? Many of you, maybe you've been camping, and you get a little spark going, and you got your little fire happening there, and then you get down on your knees, you start blowing on that fire, and you start to see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what's God saying? He's saying, fan into flame. Fan into flame what was started in you, right? Reach your full potential in Christ. Become all that God has for you. Sometimes people will say, hey, what's God doing in your life? And, and other people will respond, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I accepted Christ when I was eight. You're like, great, you're 30 now. You know, <laughs> what's been going on in your life? How are you growing? How are you becoming? How are you reaching that potential? And Paul says, fan that into flame, what God started in you. God's not finished with you. God's not finished with any of us. He says, trust God. Grow in your relationship with him. You see, the fact is this. Your obedience impacts more than just you. Your obedience to follow God, your obedience to step out in faith impacts more than just you. We saw that in Joshua chapter 3 as the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they come up to the water's edge and the water's at flood stage, the Jordan River. And yet God says, step into the water. And these priests are going, man, if I fall down and this ark falls, I'm dead. And God's going to step in the water. It's about obedience, not outcome. It's a good one to remember for all of us. It's about obedience, not outcome. And they step in the water. And what happens? The water from upstream stops flowing. And it backs up. And they stood in the middle of the Jordan while their children and their grandchildren, their neighbors, their friends, all pass by on dry ground. Your obedience matters to more than just you. As we talked about last week, when you align with the heart of God and you begin to invest in the poor and the orphaned and the forgotten, you're making a difference in them and God's making a difference in you. Your obedience matters. But, but it's also true this. Your disobedience matters. And your disobedience or my disobedience impacts more than just us. And some of you know this, man. You grew up in a home and it was tough. And maybe you still carry wounds from the things that happen in your home. 
Or maybe you have a friend who stabbed you in the back and you're just like, what? I didn't do anything. Well, what's going on? Maybe you have a boss that was really hard and man, you just carry that with you. See, hurt people hurt people. And we carry those wounds with us. Our obedience or our disobedience impacts more than just us. And so God calls us to be obedient. God calls us to go forward. And it makes an impact on more than just me. If you're to live the immeasurably more life, here's the thing. Satan doesn't want you to succeed. You've got an enemy who's going to throw roadblocks in your way. Because Satan doesn't want you to succeed because he knows that, right? He knows that you're being obedient to God. He knows the impact it's going to have in your marriage. He knows the impact it's going to have in your family. He knows the impact it's going to have in your future marriage. He knows the impact. And so he says, hey, 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 here's some roadblocks. In the book, we talk about seven roadblocks, seven roadblocks that will keep you from experiencing the immeasurably more life. Here's roadblock number one. It's this, comfort, (laughs) comfort. Have you noticed how everything in our society is built to make us comfortable? I mean, we've got air conditioning. we got sleep number beds. We've got recliners for our 60-inch TV to watch football. You know, I mean, we, everything is about making us comfortable. Now, here's the problem. The spiritual life calls you to be uncomfortable. It does. Why? So that you rely on God. So that God gets the glory. And so there comes a time in your spiritual life where you have to step out, and it's not always comfortable, right? It's not always easy. Maybe God's calling you to be in a community group, and the only thing you can think about is, well, I'm not going to somebody's house I don't know. You know, hey, come on. That's not comfortable. Or a coworker is going through a tough time at work, and, and you know, man, you can listen to them talk to other people, and you know what they need is Christ. I mean, it's just so obvious. There's not an anchor in their life. They need hope. They need help. And, and yet you're going, ah, oh, that's going to be uncomfortable to talk to them about Jesus. That's going to be uncomfortable to invite them to church. And God's going, yes, it's okay. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, hey, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. And we're like, I don't want that suffering part thing, you know. And yet that's where we grow. Jesus suffered. He said, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through some hard times. And we're going, I don't know about that. I would just rather be comfortable. And God's going, oh, but but, but, but you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. You're going to see me do great things. Trust me. Comfort. It's roadblock. How do we handle that? In our life, do we become complacent? Do we become comfortable? Or do we step out of our comfort zone and and sometimes just say, you know what, I'm going to begin to engage. I'm going to begin to pray. i got to get up early to do that. It's not always comfortable. I like hitting the snooze button. But you know what, I need to get out of bed. I need to read my Bible. I need to get on my knees. I need to do... Those things are going to draw you closer to God. But those are roadblocks, right? Comfort. Second roadblock, I think, is image. Image. Yeah, I remember being a student pastor. I worked with middle school and high school and college students. And I'd have parents come to me all the time with middle schoolers. And they would go... What happened to my child, my precious little angel? I mean, when they were in elementary school, they wanted to hold my hand. They wanted me to walk them into school. They wanted to sit by me. And now they're in middle school, and I don't get it. You know, they're like, drop me off at the corner. You know, you're like, what? 
And I would always tell them, I'm like, you know, well, they're moving from dependence to independence. You know, it's this whole, you know, maturity thing, this whole growth thing. But, but I said, they're also struggling right now with image. They're struggling with identity. They're struggling with what's important. I said, but, but don't worry, parents. You're going to get them back. It's just going to be when they're 18, 19, or 20. <laughs> but they're going to come back, right? They're going to come back, and they're going to realize how awesome you are and how much you really do know and how wonderful they have in their family. I said, they're going to come back. And it always happens. They always do. But I think a lot of times that happens in our relationship with the Lord, too. When we first accept Christ, man, we are so fired up, right? I mean, we just want to tell everybody, we're like, hey, you can't believe this. I blew it, man. I totally sinned. I totally messed up. But it was the grace of God who saved me. And you want to tell your family. You want to tell your friends. You want to tell everybody at work. You just are fired up. But then you start to grow, and then you have some people push back a little bit, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should be that excited about God. I don't know. And, and you kind of hold back, and that image thing comes. And then after a little while, you realize, hey, wait a minute. God's more important than any of this. God's more important than anything in the world. God's more important. I love the Lord. And you kind of come back to this just passion about the Lord, and you live your life that way. And I think that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, don't spend all your life worrying about what everybody else thinks. Don't spend all your life worried about the culture. Listen, you're called to a holy life. It's to be set apart. You're to be different. Don't give in to the image thing. God's doing something bigger in you. Don't let that roadblock come and keep you back and complacent and comfortable. You move forward. A third roadblock, I think, is this. I think it's money. Now, now money's not bad in and of itself, right? It's good to have money. Right? Money can be used for a lot of good, and God's blessed a lot of us, and for us to be generous. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of people. The love of money. And money can become a roadblock. Money becomes something that becomes our, our little God, that we want more and more and more and build our own kingdom and our own kingdom. We want more stuff and more things and and God's going, hey, wait a minute, I'm calling you to be generous with that. We're like, no, 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 God, I can't be generous. Are you kidding me? You know, I, I got all these things that are happening out there. And God's going, it's about obedience, not outcome. Remember, trust me. Trust me. And we're like, I can't. It becomes a roadblock. Right? It becomes a roadblock in our spiritual life of going forward because we just can't trust. Do you, do you realize the Apostle Paul before he gave his life to Christ on the road to Damascus. He was a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was a religious leader back then. It was kind of a lawyer. They were called teachers of the law. They were, they were you know, they, they were really successful. I mean, he had a lot of money. And yet when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, all that stuff began to pale. It's like, I know I've saved all this, you know, 401ks and all these kind of things, but, but, but it's about Jesus and I want to go forward in him, and I want to use whatever I have to further God's kingdom. And he begins to invest and make a difference in churches and, and planting churches and in the poor and the broken. And, and God used him to impact the world. <laughs> We're talking about him today and not talking about, you know, these people who had this big account back then because, because this guy just generous. It becomes a roadblock. You know, the fourth roadblock, the fourth roadblock is this. It's busyness. Busyness. You know, there's an old saying that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you what? Busy, right? If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. You talk to people and you'll say, hey, how you doing? And they'll say, I'm so busy. 
And the next thing you know is, man, we're just trying to scramble and we're running from one thing to the next. And all these things are kind of controlling our lives. And we say this often. We go, if I just had more time, right? I say that. If I just had more time. And when you realize then that it's not more time, we all have the same amount of time. What does it become? Priorities. What's going to be first in your life? What, what are you going to say is the most important things in my life? And when you realize the priorities are Christ first, right? And family and church, community. And, and then you got career and sports. Because you may change your career. You may change your job multiple times in your life. You're, these things are going to change. You may, you may, your sports teams are going to win. They're going to lose. They're gonna, you, know, you have all these things, and, and they're fine. But at, at some point, you don't let those other things run your life. You, you put the big rocks in first. You put Christ first. And I think the Apostle Paul's writing to Timothy and saying, hey, Timothy, don't get so caught up in a lot of activity that you don't accomplish anything. Make sure that you're investing in the things that matter. Don't let that become a roadblock. The fifth roadblock is fear. Fear. Man, I think fear has been a roadblock for so many Christians. You know, we get, we get excited about what God's doing or we'll, we'll be moved in a Sunday morning and we'll say, you know, yeah, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And, and then we get out there and we're like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't control it. And fear comes in. But what does Paul write to Timothy? For God did not give you a spirit of what? Fear. God didn't give that. And so when the fear comes, you have to look and go, that's not from God. I have this feeling of fear, but that's not from God. Because God gave me a spirit of power, that's confidence, of love, love God, love others, and of self-discipline. God gave me those things. God didn't give me this feeling of fear. And yet fear so much rules us. Now, if anybody should have been afraid, to me it would be the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul's writing from prison, Emperor Nero. I would have been afraid. I've been like, okay, God, please get me out of here. You know, God, I, I'm going to die right here. But, but you know what, Paul, there was this confidence. God, you're doing something even though I can't see it. God, you've got a bigger purpose even though I don't understand it right now. And God, my confidence is in you. And maybe you're in a tough spot right now. Maybe things are hard right now. But listen, God hadn't forgotten about you. God's not giving up on you. You hold on to him and you push past that fear. You're no longer a slave to fear. You're a child of God. You hold on to him with everything that you have. The sixth one, I think, the sixth roadblock is this. It's doubt. It's doubt. Now, doubt's not a sin, okay? We did a whole series on doubt. Doubt's not a sin. In fact, doubt is, is the seedbed of faith. Doubt is where your faith begins to grow. Think about this. God gave you doubt. And God gave you doubt for a reason. Why? Because otherwise we would believe everything out there. We go, okay, well, that's sure. That's true. That's true. That's true. No, no, no. But God wants us to doubt some things. God can handle our doubt. Christianity can handle our questions. It'll hold up to our questions. I mean, that's the amazing part. I mean, God's like, hey, bring it on. You know what? I'm God. You're not. You know, I can, I can handle that. And it's okay. But then, you know, the thing that it should do, it should drive us to the Word. It should drive us to discover. It should drive, there's a reason it's called faith. 
Because at some point you push past the doubt and you go, what? I'm trusting that God is for me. I'm trusting that God has the best interest in mind. I'm trusting that I'm going to bust down this roadblock and God's got a plan and a purpose and I'm going forward in him. And I love as the Apostle Paul wrote there in verse 12, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. And what did Paul entrust him? He trusted his life. God, I am convinced I'm putting a stake in the ground and I'm going forward that whatever the outcome is, I'm trusting in you. And the last roadblock, as you think about this, is past. Your past. Your past. How many times have we gotten serious about following God? Have we gotten serious about stepping out of faith? And the devil reminds us, whoa, what are you doing? Come on now. You can't follow God. You can't get serious. You can't, you know, lead your family spiritually. You can't. You know, remember what you did in high school? You remember what you did in college? Oh, yeah. You're right. And we kind of step back. That roadblock every time is right there. Now think about this. The Apostle Paul, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he killed Christians. I mean, Literally. And that's what he was doing. He, he was trying to stop the church. He was killing Christians. And I don't think any of us have done that. So you know what? Here's the apostle Paul. And how many times would Satan remind him, Paul, what are you doing? What are you pouring into these people? How are you trying to disciple people? How are you planting churches? You remember what you did? And there had to come a point in his life. He goes, you know what? My God is greater. God has forgiven me. God has redeemed me. God has restored me. And I'm going forward in him. Get this, get this. Anytime Satan reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. All right? And he just reminds you of, his pa of your past. You just go, hey, hey, listen, I've read the end of the book. I know how all this thing goes down. I know. Listen, I've got eternity with God and you don't, okay? I'm going there. And then you go forward in him. Roadblocks. Now, as you think about these, we all deal with them, Right? These are seven roadblocks that all of us face. But there's also some unique roadblocks. There's some roadblocks that I think that Satan throws at us individually. What are those for you? What's keeping you from reaching your full potential in Christ? What's holding you back? I want you to hear this morning from a, a man in our church. And, and literally, I mean, he is a miracle. His story is incredible. But there was a roadblock in his life, and God got his attention, and his life will never be the same. I want you to watch this. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for uh, talking with us today, and uh, man, you're a miracle. I mean, really, uh, and it's been amazing to know a little bit of your story, but would you share kind of your life before this incident happened? Well, before the, the accident incident, um, I was very happy. A uh, wonderful wife, wonderful boys, friends, uh, was successful in my job. But there was one thing that was more important to me than any of that, and it was alcohol, and it was uh, drinking. So much so that there was a restaurant that Elizabeth liked to go to, and they didn't serve alcohol, so I never wanted to go there. And that was the reason. Um, and it, 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 I drank so much that I, took advantage of the boys, took advantage of Elizabeth, um, because I was not a very nice drunk. And, um, you know, we lost friends because of it. 
And that was my, that was what was important. What happened? There was something, there was a turning point for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was. A big one. Yes, there was a big mm. one. Um, we, I was at a uh, Florida State football game in Louisville, October 30th, 2014. And uh, we were standing up, it was the third quarter, watching a play go left to right. And uh, a very, very intoxicated man um, sitting behind me fell into me and I fell forward and hit a steel railing. The only way I know to say it is just perfect. <laughs> it knocked me unconscious, rolled down 12 stairs. Hour later, hour and a half later, um, at the University of Louisville Hospital with Elizabeth, my boys around me, um, my sister, brother-in-law, and told that um, I happened to have emergency brain surgery, that the brain was hemorrhaging and it was something like clotting at the same time, and that I didn't have long. And they actually said that they didn't know if I'd make it. And I can remember being pushed into the operating room. And I can remember, uh, because I was coming in and out, but I can remember them, the anesthesiologist putting me under them saying we don't have long. And all I knew to do is I said Jesus three times. And that's all I knew to do. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know if I'd make it. And I honestly, I, th I think I thought I wouldn't. And I was hoping I would and was praying and said, Jesus, and that's the last thing I remember as far as going into surgery. I shouldn't be here, but I was given a second chance. I had numerous doctors tell me you, you were a miracle that uh, actually one doctor told me that something similar to that had happened in uh, Franklin and the gentleman is almost saying the gentleman didn't make it. Uh, about the same time. So I had a lot of doctors tell me that it was a, a miracle because of how the, the head injury was. And, um, you know, the couple of miracles were, as I say, was Josh the paramedic that argued with me because um, I wanted to go back to the game. When I came to, I was fine. Another miracle was University of Louisville being a trauma one medical center for head injuries. Um, and, you know, I think it was just the 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 prayer and the faith um, coming, coming out of that. And yeah, I, I shouldn't be here, but I was given a second chance and I know that. Yeah. And I don't want to take advantage anymore. Well, that, that night as um, Elizabeth texted us and everybody at church and people started praying and it's been a, it's been a long recovery. Yes. Um, yes. But God's taught you along the way. And it's not something you've wasted. Uh, it's something that has changed you. Um, talk about that. What's the difference? Well, well, the the difference is, and it's it's a, a daily change. Mm. I'm not I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect, and I never will be. But I know the things that I did wrong, and I knew the things that I needed to change. And um, I started doing that in myself. Um, when, you, when you're recovering for something like that, 32 staples and four plates or whatever that's in my head, um, you know, you have time to think. And uh, ironically, how the accident happened by an intoxicated man falling into me, and I'm not gonna lie, I was very intoxicated at that game too. Um, uh, you, you, you realize the things you take advantage of. 
and being in that bed the six or eight weeks when I really couldn't do much. And I, I mean, I know you would come by and people would come by and I just began to realize the things I had done. First of all, the people I'd hurt, my wife, my boys, friends, family in it. Honestly, alcohol was that important to me. And realizing that, that I needed to change and that I wanted to make amends and, you know, apologize to people I had hurt. Um, and I, one of the stories that I love to tell, there's a couple, one I love to tell is where we were sitting in the family room, just me and the boys. And they were discussing, Elizabeth had been crying about something just to be, you know, real. She had been crying about some things and um, that were my fault. And the boys said, why is mom crying? And I said, well, you know, before the accident, daddy drank a lot. And he did things he shouldn't. And when you have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old look at you and go, we know. And when they, when they say, they're glad I'm not drinking. And when they say, it's better now in the house. I mean, you know, what a, I mean, it was almost like a, another slap in the face, but it was in a different way because it was like, okay, this is real. They saw it. Mm -hmm. And so I just knew that I had to make a change and I had to do things different. And then, like I said, I'm not perfect. And I, I, I you know, it's, it's every day. It's something, mm -hmm. but, but I know that for me, I never need to have a drink again, you know? Um, and I know that um, given this second chance, that I need to tell it everywhere, ev everywhere I can. Because we all have those things we struggle with that we think we have control over. And we're hiding it well from people. And, you know, one of the things I say is um, back then it was like I was driving the car about four or five years ago and God was in the back seat. And every so often I'd turn around and go, you good? Because, you know, I got this. And that's, you know, now it's just it's completely different. And you look at everything in life differently. Michael, what encouragement would you give to people? Um, you know, just as we endeavor to follow Christ, to live this immeasurably more life, what encouragement would you say from your past experience? That, uh, you know, the biggest thing I've learned and I like to tell others is, and I say it all the time, everybody's got something. It doesn't have to be alcohol. Mine was alcohol and mine was probably a little pride. But everybody can be pride. It can be pornography. It can be, I mean, gambling. It can be a sports team. You know, it can be whatever. Everybody's got something that they can put first. And the other thing is to is just to be real about it. Go to people. Admit you have it. That's the first way to get over stuff. And that's why I say, yeah, I, I had a problem with drinking. And, um, you know, 
once we do that, he can, he can overcome and help you. And I tell people, I said, you know, don't let it be a major accident. Don't let it be that. Because he'll find a way to shake you. He always does. And he, he you know, he, he loves us that much. And it's sort of, it's, it's strange, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm thankful, mm -hmm. you know? Because if that hadn't happened, I honestly don't think I'd be here. I honestly don't think I'd be here. And every day, I am, again, I am far from perfect. Every day it's a change. Every day it's, it's, it's fighting, you know? But being honest about it, it's a whole lot easier. It is a whole lot easier. Yeah. You know, for everything that Satan wants to do, you know, there's always a way that God can fix it and make it better. He's in it all. I mean, to hear him say, you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And I think there's so many times in our lives where we, we do that. We live with this mentality, God, you're in the back seat. You okay? I got this, you know. And God the whole time is saying, listen, I don't want to sit in the back seat. I want to drive the car. I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. And there's so often in our lives, you know, God is calling us and inviting us. And we're just like, no, you know. And God's going, hold on to me. We all got something. We all got something. And there's roadblocks in all of our lives. So how do we bust down the roadblocks? I, I think, number one, we got to be honest. I mean, you, you just have to come to a point in your life where you go, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to be honest. And this is a struggle for me. And maybe it's one of those seven that we talked about. Maybe it's something totally different, but maybe it's something that you know it. But it's hindering your marriage, or it's hindering your family, it's hindering you. And it's keeping you from achieving what God has for you. Be honest. The second way is to be bold. See, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. And so many times we, we, we're afraid. We're afraid if we confess it. We're afraid if we tell somebody. We're afraid if we go to counseling. We're afraid if we say something, that, hey, I need some help here, that it makes us look weak. You know, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God gave you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. God wants the best for you. God wants your life to be all that he dreams and desires. And the third way is this, to Christ first. Christ first. Christ first in every area. And I think about how often, I mean, great leaders we've seen in our own country, you know, great, great leaders or military leaders or politicians or their whole career has gone down because of some roadblock in their life that they weren't willing to confess. They weren't willing to step forward in. And for all of us, I would just say, hey, Christ first. I'm going to remind you to fan into flame what God has started in you. That Christ is more important than anything else. And maybe you're here today and God's drawing you to his heart. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
But that is just the beginning. That is just the beginning of an amazing journey of trusting and following him. So what are the roadblocks for you? If you were just to be gut level honest, what are the roadblocks for you? Would you be bold enough to do something about it? Would you be bold enough to push through and say, God, I want to follow you. You're more important than anything else. I want to invite us just into a time of prayer and a time of response. You know, it's God's grace. Just like Michael, man, we are all alive for a reason and for a purpose. And at some point, we've got to make a decision. Am I going to let those roadblocks hold me back or am I going to bust through? Am I going to live in the grace and the plan that God has for me? Because your obedience matters. And it matters to more than just you. And so as our worship team sings, I'm going to invite some of our A6 guys. They're just going to move to the sides and we're going to stand and pray. And if you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, just go out. You can slip out. That's when we stand. And so it's a little darker. You can kind of slide out and just say, hey, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for my marriage? Would you pray for my future marriage? Would you pray for me as a dad or as a mom or wherever you are in life? And just pray. I'm facing this. Don't leave here today and go back to the same old thing. Be honest. Be real with God. And watch God do a miracle in your life. It's only his grace. Let's stand together. So, Father, here we are, your people. We're standing in the need of prayer, Father. Lord, we're all dealing with something. Satan has put a roadblock in front of us, Father, and, and I pray, God, that you would open our eyes and our hearts. I pray that we would be real, that we would be honest today. Lord, for those things that we need prayer, I pray, God, that we would go, we would respond. Father, for areas we need counseling, that we would step out. God, draw us close to your heart right now. Help us to understand that we've received grace. And now, God, help us to live that life that you want us to live. God, help us to live this immeasurably more life and not to miss it not to settle for something so little, but to invest in what really matters. Thank you, God, for grace. And thank you for your presence this morning. In the name of Christ, we continue to pray and respond.